So as many of you know, and as I, I kind of mentioned at, at the beginning as we we're opening up, you know, we believe that God has called us this year to, to a year of prayer and to, to focus on, on prayer and to come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray. Because we, we kind of realize that, that yes, prayer can kind of be boiled down and simplified to just talking with, with God. And, and it is that, and it's as simple as that. And so we can engage in that relationship. But at the same time, Jesus teaches us the way that God has designed prayer to work. He, he teaches us about how, how God has designed prayer, first and foremost, to be about relationship. That yes, we can talk to him about the things that we need. We can talk to him about the things we're worried about and concerned about. We can ask him for different stuff. But it, when we, when that becomes the driving motivator of our prayer life, Jesus says we, we've missed it. When that becomes the driving motivator of our prayer life, we've, we've kind of boiled our relationship with God down to a business relationship. And, and what, what happens then inevitably is that, that God starts to seem distant. Prayer seems to seem, starts to seem like a duty and just something that we should do, something we've got to do. And we end up feeling frustrated because we're not seeing the results that we want to see. Prayer first and foremost is about spending time with our Heavenly Father. It's about relationship with Him. Getting to know God better and experiencing His love for us that we've been singing about. That's part of why I think Jesus teaches us when we, we pray to prioritize thanks and praise that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You know, because as we praise God, we, we, we kind of remind ourselves and we set our eyes on him and we realize just how big he is and how amazing he is and, and how much he loves us. And it just begins to shape our perspective and to change the way that we're seeing the, the things that we're battling with and struggling with. As we, we thank God, we're reminded of all the good things that he's, he's given us and it, it guards our hearts from negativity. It guards our hearts from being discontent because, because we learn as we, we kind of take this time to prioritize thanks and praise the lesson that Paul teaches us about how we're to be content in all circumstances because of God's blessing, because he's with us. And I think we need to be reminded, and Jesus wants to teach us this in prayer, we need to be reminded of it because it doesn't always come naturally. Because you see, naturally in prayer, we are pulled back again and again to our needs, to our fears and our worries, to our concerns, to our wants. And as a good father, he invites us to talk to him about those things because as any good father, he wants to help us and to be there and to provide but he doesn't want that to be all that our relationship with him becomes about. When we do come and, and talk to God about our needs, you know, in prayer. Now, one of the most common questions that I think we often come to him with, one of the most common needs that we come with is, God, what should I do? What, what should I do in this situation? You know, and when we've got a decision to make, we want to make the right one, don't we? You know, and we all face choices that, that weigh on us and whether the clear kind of response, the clear thing to do isn't always obvious. And so we want God's help with, with what do we do? What's the choice that we make? Particularly with big decisions like what, what job should I take? Where do we live? Who should I marry? You know, big decisions that we know are going to involve a long-term commitment. 
I don't know how many of you remember these books. I've, I've got it here, but there's a picture will come up as well for because it's only a little. Um, this, how many of you remember these kind of books that, that, that used to be around? You don't get them so much anymore. This one was mine um, when I was a child. My, my mum kept it, stored it, and has kind of passed it on now for, for our kids. But, but these are choose-your-own-adventure books. And um, if you've not come across them, the whole idea with these kind of books is that um, you don't read them from kind of front to back. You, you read little bits, and then as you go, it comes to the bottom of it, and it'll be something like um, you're walking through town, and you're scared that somebody might be following you. Do you choose to try and run away, so therefore turn to page 37, or do you try to hide in the house that you're passing by, so turn to page 120? Uh, and I might say, I'm going to try and hide in the, in the house. And, and so I'm turned to a page 120 and I read that the house belongs to the evil sheriff and he's having a meeting with his people. And so I end up being arrested and thrown in prison and left to rot the end. <laughs> and you kind of, after you pay, turn to page 120, you think, oh, only I knew. If I'd known what was going to happen, I would have chosen to turn to page 37 and, and run away. You know I think so sometimes we, we kind of see the choices that we make in life in this kind of way. We realize that we don't know what the consequences are going to be down the line. That we're making a long-term commitment and, and our kind of knowledge is, is, is weak and poor and limited and God knows everything. And so we come to him and we say, God, show us what to do. Tell me, should I turn to page 37 or 120? Tell me, should I take this job or that one? Tell me, do you want me to serve in the church in this way or not? God, show me what to do. What's the right way for me to go? How many of you ever prayed a prayer like that one? I know I definitely have. You know, maybe some of you are praying prayer like that one right now at the moment. You know, it's a good prayer to pray. Our hearts are in the right place when we're, we're praying that kind of a prayer. When we come to God with that kind of a question. But as we come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray. What do we learn from him about how to come to God with that question? And what do we learn from him about how God answers to show us? And the first thing that I think that Jesus teaches us is that the starting point for receiving God's guidance to knowing what God wants us to do is putting God on the throne and surrendering to him. You know, in Matthew 6, as part of the Lord's Prayer, you know, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, when Jesus is talking about how he makes his own decisions and decides what he's going to do, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And we get an amazing example of this right at the end in Luke chapter 22. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this time he's not asking Jesus He's not asking God, what should I do? He knows what God wants him to do. He knows that what God wants him to do is to go to the cross and to be crucified, to die in a horrific way for your sins and for mine. But he's, he's coming to God and he's saying, Father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He's in anguish. He's sweating drops of blood. If you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And this, and this whole kind of idea is easy for us to nod and say, yeah, of course. We know that. We agree with that. When we're just talking about it in theory. 
But when it comes to things in our own lives that we have strong preferences on, something that we really want, something that's going to cost us, it can be a lot harder, can't it? And sometimes I think we can come to God and we ask him to show us what it is that he wants us to do in the same kind of way. It's a little bit like if we, we, uh, we plan for an evening and we're going to go out for a meal with a friend. And, and, and so we say to the friend, you know what, tonight, tonight is your night. You choose where we go. You choose what we're going to eat. It's your night. And so the friend kind of stops and, th- and thinks and says, you know what, I really like some Chinese tonight. That sounds good to me. I go, ah, oh, do you know what, I forgot. I had Chinese last night. You know what? Chinese is, is great, but, but anything other than Chinese for tonight would be, would, would, would be fine. And your friend says, okay, well, what about Indian? Should we have some Indian? I say, ah, oh, do you know, I don't, spicy food doesn't really agree with me. I end up with indigestion. I, I, I don't sleep well. Let's go for something other than Indian. Your choice, though. It's your night. You choose. It's exactly what you want. And so your friend says, okay, how about Italian? Oh, you know, big bowl of pasta, bloating. I'm going to leave me feeling lethargic. Not sure that's a good idea. And so your friend kind of cottons on and says, okay, well, how about we go for some Spanish tapas? Because then you can have little bits of whatever it is that you want. And you're like, yes, Spanish tapas, perfect. Sounds good to me. But it's your choice. It's your night. We want to go where you want. Only if that's right. You know, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that the person might have said that they wanted their friend to be able to choose and that they would do whatever it is that their friend wanted, but actually they weren't happy unless what their friend wanted matched with what they wanted. And what happens in the conversation when that kind of thing goes on, and you've probably all been there, you've probably all been part of that kind of a conversation, what happens in the conversation is that there's this kind of pushback and manipulation that goes on until the other person says something that you actually agree with and that you want to. And I think without meaning to, we can sometimes approach God in this kind of a way as we pray. We say, God, what do you want me to do? And yet unspoken at the back of our mind, without us ever verbalizing it, is really the thought, God, if what you want me to do and what I want to do, and we're in agreement on that, then let's go for it. And if it's not 100% clear that that what God's saying kind of matches what we want, and we're we're not kind of in agreement on it, when we kind of push back and and we go again and say, I'm not sure I've heard you quite right, God, you know, let's just pray about this again. And, and we kind of end up saying, you know, God, you know, why don't you, you show me a, a sign so that I'll know that it's, it's what it is that you want. And so I want to be in a relationship with this person. So if I bump into that person tomorrow, I'll know that it's from you. And then you go to the place where you know that person's going to be tomorrow and you kind of wait there and hang around And when you bump into them, you claim to everybody that's your sign that God has confirmed to you what it is that that you wanted is right. You know, one of the things that I learned a long time ago was I kind of wrestled with this and, and I prayed and I did a lot was, you know, there's a big difference when we pray between saying to God, God, can I do this? Is it okay? And God, is it your best for me? 
I've found through my own experience that when I come to God and I, and my, I kind of turn my, my heart, my attitude, the way that I pray is from that place of, God, can I do this? That if I persist in asking that question in that way, from that place, from that attitude of basically saying, can I do what I want to do? Eventually, God will say yes. Every time. Because he's not a God who controls us. He's a God who gives us free choice. And so eventually, if I come to God with that attitude saying, this is what I want, and I'm just going to persist and saying, this is what I want to do. Can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? He'll say yes. I'll allow you to do it. But he'll also allow you to face the consequences of choosing it. If we really want to know what we should do in situations, what God's will and his purpose is for us, then the starting point is to put God on the throne and it's to surrender to him. We say, God, you know my heart's desires. You know my hopes and my dreams. You know my fears and my worries. You know the pros and the cons. You know what's going to be good for me. And Lord, I lay my preferences down. I lay my agenda down. And say, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life on this earth. You know, I think often our issue is less about determining what God's will is for us. And it's more about us submitting to God's will and being obedient. And in fact, I think, you know, the second thing that Jesus teaches us when it comes to praying for for God's guidance and for him to show us what his will is, is that it's as we obey that we discern his will. Um, Romans 12 verses 1 or 2 says this, says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul is saying that in response to everything that God has done for us, we're to surrender our lives to him. And that what this looks like is that every part of our lives becomes about honoring him, becomes about serving him, becomes about worshiping him. And that as we allow God to transform us from the inside out, to transform our thinking and the way that we see things and understand things, as we live lives of obedience, then we will be able to discern his will. And so as we we look to put God on the the throne and to surrender to him, the first thing that we we need to, to ask ourselves and to talk to God about, the first thing we need to come to in prayer is the surrender. Having surrendered, the next thing we come to in our prayer of asking God, show me what to do, is to pray, God, am I being obedient to what it is that you've already shown me is your will in the Bible? Because the more you are walking in obedience to the general will of God for all believers, the more you will 
be able to discern what his specific will is for you in your situation and in your moment. And if you are rejecting the general will of God for all believers that you know that has been clear to you, if you are refusing to put him on the throne and surrender to him in the ways that he's made it clear to you what his will is, then you shouldn't be surprised if it's really difficult to then work out what it is that he's telling you to do. And if you're walking in God's specific will for you in a decision and in a moment and in a situation, in the things that you're wrestling with and the choices you're having to make. Because you see, first and foremost, God's will for you is that you grow in your relationship with him and that you become more and more like Jesus. And so when you're asking God, God, what do you want me to do? A great starting point is to say, God, which of these choices are going to help me to grow in my relationship with you and help me to become more and more like Jesus? And a lot of what that looks like is already shown us. We don't have to guess and wonder. We don't have to kind of wrestle and say, what is it? He's spoken it to us through the Bible. We know that it's God's will for us that we are thankful in all circumstances. We know that it's God's will for us that we're to avoid sexual immorality. That we're to, to flee from it. We know that it's God's will that we play an active part in, in the church family. That we submit to one another and we serve one another in love. We know that it's God's will for us to, to care for those who are in need and to express his love in practical ways. Not just in, 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 in word and prayers. For us to give generously to those who need it most. We know that it's God's will that we meditate on his word day and night and allow it to shape our thinking and our attitudes and our behavior. And I think sometimes when we come to God and say, God, God, what, what, what should I do? What should I do in this situation? God responds, hey, I've already asked you to do this. How's that going? Are you obeying my will in the things that I've already spoken to you, in the ways that I've already made it clear? Or in pride, are you choosing your own way and thinking that you know best? Let's deal with those things first. Let's deal with the things that are going to help you to grow in your relationship with me and become more like Jesus. Then, then we can worry about that. And if we actively and purposefully choose to, to walk in disobedience to God, then he has made it clear that, that we shouldn't be surprised if we then find it hard to discern his will in the specific other areas of our lives. And so the starting point for us coming to God in prayer and saying, God, God, what should I do? Is simply to put him on the throne. It's to surrender to him. And for that not just to be something that we say in our prayers, but it's to him, for us to pray, God, search me, know me. Is there any way in me where I'm not walking in your ways? God, help me to be obedient to the things that you've shown me, that you be on the throne, Lord, not just... It, in kind of my, the way that I pray as, as words, but be on the throne in my heart, in my life, in the way that I live. And from that place of surrender, God's promise is that then you will be able to test and approve his will 
You will know what it is that he's saying. His good, pleasing, and perfect will for you. And what we see as we, we look through the Bible then as to what this looks like as we, we pray, God, what should I do? How it is that he, he speaks to us and how it is that he shows us and he guides us is that it comes in all sorts of different ways. Which is why I can't stand here and say this is, this is how it works because there's no formula. There's, there's no formula we, we, of, of God saying, if you ask me like this, then this is how I'm going to speak. Because all throughout the Bible, we see God speaking in different ways to different people. In fact, we, we see there are times when people will come to God and ask him a question. And the same person will come to God and ask him the same question, but he speaks to them differently on both occasions. And, and so I can't stand here and say, this is how it is that God's going to speak to you. This is the way that it, it works. And I think he does this on purpose because God wants us to keep our prayers about relationship with him. That that's the primary focus of what it's all about. You know, often what we would like when we come to God and we say, God, show me what to do, is we would like God to kind of download this map or this set of instructions to us as to, this is what I want you to do, step by step. This is the things to do to get you from A to B. But when we come to God in that way, what's really going on? We're treating him like a glorified magic eight ball. I think God looks at that and he says, you're making your relationship with me like a business relationship. This is just about what you can get. It's just about being productive. And God doesn't want to just give us a map and a set of instructions and leave us to it. He wants to, when we come to him, we say, God, what should I do? Where should I go? What's the right decision to make? God wants to take your hand and to be your guide and to say, follow me, let me show you. And that's an awful lot more scary because we don't know where he's leading. It's an awful lot more scary because we don't know the steps that there are going to be along the way. It's an awful lot more scary because we're not in control. And we can't make that choice to say, I I don't think that's uh, something I want to do. But when we come to God in that way, when we allow him to hold our hand, when we just say, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead, it's all about relationship. Because we're completely reliant on him. We're completely dependent on him. It keeps us close to him so that we grow in our relationship with him and we become more like him. And that's ultimately what it is that he wants for us. It teaches us to trust him and to submit to him. And so there are lots of different ways that God will, will, may want to speak to you to answer your question, what should I do? You know, we see a whole load of them in the Bible. We can't go through all of them. We see a whole load of them. You know, sometimes he will, he will speak to you not only about his general will for all believers, but he'll speak to you about your specific situation and the specific things you're going through through the Bible. Sometimes he will, he will speak to you through dreams or visions. Sometimes he might speak through other people. He might speak through, um, through the Holy Spirit prompting you in your inner being and giving you a sense of rightness and peace and saying, this is the way. Walk in it. He might speak to you as you, you simply come to, and reason through things with him. 
reason through the pros and cons. We see that in Scripture, that, that this isn't just about a banding of our mind, that people come to, to God and they reason with Him and say, this is this and this is this, and God speaks to them through that process and shows them what to do. He might speak to you by giving you a sign as a confirmation. You know, there are so many different ways that we see that God speaks through the Bible to different people at different times in different ways. I think the key thing is trusting his promise that when we've put him on the throne, we've surrendered to him, we're doing all we can, as imperfectly as we may, we're doing all we can to live for him and be obedient to him. His promise is then that you will be able to test and approve his will, his good pleasing and perfect will. And we trust that as we're doing that, as we're keeping him on the throne, as we're surrendering to him, as we're doing all we can to be obedient, that he's taking our hand and he's leading us every step of the way. You know, in in those words in Romans 12, you know, it says, doesn't it, that we're to test what we believe that he's shown us. We're to recognize that we're capable of getting it wrong. You know, it says similar in, um, you know, we love prophecy. It's been great to have God speaking to us through, through prophecy. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul elsewhere, he, he writes and he says, Do not treat prophecy with contempt, but test it, so that you'll know what is good. I so I want to finish, and I just want to give you three principles that I think are really helpful in this. First one is this. God's specific will for your life will never contradict his general will for all believers. In other words, God will never tell you to turn right if in the Bible he has spoken to all believers telling them to turn left. God's will for you will never contradict his word to you. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. God's word is our ultimate guide. And anytime we believe God has speaking to us to show us what to do, we need to test it against his word. And that means we need to know his word. It means we need to be filled with it. We need to be spending time reading it because it isn't there. It's not likely to come if you just kind of pick it up and flip it open and hope. It might, but that's God being incredibly gracious and merciful with you. Because it's as we're obedient to his general will to meditate on his law day and night, that we know it, that we're filled with it, that we're then capable of testing his specific will for what it is that he wants for us in times and seasons and situations. We can come to God and say, God, does this fit with the commands of Christ? Does it match up to what we see in your word about the character of Christ or not? Second thing I think we can do is we can need to listen to God's people. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And when you are wrestling with things and trying to make decisions, don't try and do it alone. Because when you isolate yourself, you make yourself vulnerable. 
You know, one of the, the verses um, that has kind of been close to my heart and I kind of come back to and as a, as a guard and a warning to me, and I often speak it to other people, is, is Jeremiah 17 verse 9 where it says that the heart is deceitful above all things. If you isolate yourself, you risk being deceived by your own heart's desires. Because your heart will try and twist the word of God, twist situations, all to give you a sense of permission for you to be able to pursue what it is that you want. We all need one another. Don't try and make decisions alone. You know, this is why we, we encourage people to be part of small groups and growth groups. And, because we need people around us who know God's word and are seeking to follow it even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it's unpopular. So that when we come to decisions that we're wrestling with, we can ask for their input and for their help in testing what it is that we feel God's saying. And if as part of things you believe God's spoken something, as part of testing it, you bring it to godly people and they all come back saying, I'm not so sure about this. You've got to treat that as a big red flag. Don't dismiss them in your pride. Have the humility to recognize you might be the one who's wrong this time. You know, little... One of my little pet things which I find so frustrating is when people come and tell me they've made a decision but never involved me in the process. Because I fear then that as they've isolated themselves, it's just given them permission to seek their own desires. We need one another to help to test what God is saying so that we stay in line with his will and his purpose, what it is that he, he wants for us. And if they're all the people who you come and you test it with, they come back saying, yes, what a great feeling that is. What a great sense of confirmation that, that yes, God is in this. He has spoken. I've heard him. I can stand on this. I can press on. I can be obedient. I can take that step of faith. Last principle then is a little bit different, and it's not a test. But I think it's a helpful reminder because... When it comes to this question of asking God, what should I do? Because it reminds us of the freedom that God gives us. So the third one is that sometimes God says, you choose. You know, God wants us to ask for his input. And, and it is right and good for us to, to come and submit everything to him and say, God, we want to put you on the throne and surrender to you. We submit this to you. Show us what it is that you want for in this situation. It is right and it is good. It's what Jesus teaches. It stops us from walking in pride. It stops us from assuming we know best. But one of the things that I've seen in people's lives over the years again and again is that sometimes when people are facing these kind of decisions, they end up paralyzed in a place of fear of getting it wrong. They're paralyzed in a place where they're scared they're going to miss out on what God has for them. It's almost like walking in God's plan is like walking along this tightrope and if they take one step either side, it's all going to go wrong. I don't believe that that's what God wants for you or for me. The promise that we, we read in Romans 12 is that as we put God on the throne, as we surrender to him, as we look to be transformed in our thinking and obedient to him, his promise is that we will know what his will is. 
And so we don't have to be scared. We don't have to be worried. And, and, and God says, look, I've shown you what my will is in my word. My will is that you grow in relationship with me and that you become more and more like Jesus. That you would seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and my promises that as you do, do those things, I'll take care of everything else. He says, that's what matters to me. That's what my will is. And within that, you've got freedom to choose. Trust me that as you put me first, I've got your hand. I'm leading you. You just keep following. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, Paul is writing to believers who are arguing about what they should or shouldn't do. And he says this, this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, essentially you choose, it doesn't matter. Just do it all for the glory of God. So as we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. He says, start with making time for God. Be intentional. Get away from the busyness and the distractions so that you can really focus on him. Know that your time with him is about relationship. It's about getting to know him. It's about enjoying him. It's not about just being productive. And then as you, as you thank him, as you praise him, as you honor him, let that just shape your perspective as to who he is and all that he's done for you. And then as you come to him for guidance, as you come to him and say, God, show me what to do. First, put him on the throne. Surrender to him. Lay down to him your agenda, your hopes, your dreams, your wants, your desires, your fears, your worries. Everything else that is pulling on you in that decision. And then as you ask him to show you what to do, be open to him, pointing, pointing to something that actually he's already shown you in his will and saying, look, this is where I want your focus. This is what I want you to deal with. This is what I have for you right now. Let's sort that out. It's more important to me. Be open to God saying, I don't mind. You choose. It's not a big deal. Just seek me first. Do it for my glory. Go for it. And in the times when you do feel God gives you something specific, which is not where he's pointed to, to, the, to the, his word, where he's not where he's pointed to the Bible and, and his general will for you to be obedient to, but he's, you feel like he's shown you something specific, in those times, be open to being wrong. Test what you feel he's said with the Bible and with godly people. And if that's your heart, it's to put Jesus on the throne and to surrender to him. It's to be obedient to him. It's to humble yourself and recognize you can get it wrong at times. Then you don't have to stress and you don't have to worry about missing a step and getting it wrong. You don't have to be paralyzed in fear. You can trust him because his promise is that as you do that, you will know what his will is. You will be able to test and approve his will, his good, pleasing and perfect will for you. I said, just take his hand and trust that as you're taking the steps, he's the one leading you. He's the one carrying you. Now, I imagine we all have different things in our lives that are going on where we want God to speak to us and to show us what to do. 
And as you ask that quest, God that question, he doesn't want to leave you in the dark. And he doesn't want to leave you in a place of fear. He wants to take your hand and to be your guide as you follow him. For you to know that he is with you and that you can trust him, that he has got you. And so as we finish, I want us to just put into practice what we've been talking about. I want us to to carve out space from the busyness and the distractions and say, let's fix our eyes on God. Let's take time for him before we head off into life and just things get lost. Let's come to God as our Father. Let's praise him and thank him and honor him and tell him how we love him. Let's surrender to him. Put him on the throne. Say, not my will, but your will. And, let, and just ask him, God, show me, show me what you want. Show me what to do. And be open. Open to what it is that he wants to say. Might be that he wants to just reassure you that he's got you, that it's okay, that you can trust him. That even though you don't know exactly what the next step is, that as you just keep focused on him, that he is leading you. It may be that he wants to highlight something in your life where he's saying, this needs to change. It may be that he simply says, you choose. 